Have you ever wanted to give yourself better odds on winning a bet? Well, DraftKings Sportsbook is giving you a chance to do just that. All players who place a bet on Sunday night's basketball game between LA and Denver will have a hand in lowering the over-under on the game. That's right. For every 1,000 players who bet the over on Sunday night's game, the over-under will drop by one point. The best part is that even as the line lowers, the odds remain at even money. That's right. You can double your money by hammering the over. If that isn't enough excitement for you, there is a huge title fight happening this weekend at UFC 258. Don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook also offers great odds and promotions on basketball, hockey, and so much more all week long. DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable, so you can deposit and withdraw your funds at your convenience. Download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code THPN when you sign up to hammer the over on Sunday night's basketball game when L.A. takes on Denver. Once again, that is promo code THPN. Tell your friends and family this is a team effort. Hammer the over and improve your odds on doubling your money. That's promo code THPN for a limited time only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in Indiana, 1-800-9-WITH-IT. Or in Virginia, call 888-532-3500. What is up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Straight Up Sabres presented by the Hockey Podcast Network and Buffalo Fanatics. As always, I'm Brendan. And I'm uh, sitting alone here in KeyBank Center. Where is everyone? (laughs) (laughs) Yes, yes, folks. In light of the news that was announced on Wednesday by Governor Cuomo, sports arenas are permitted to now have 10% capacity at games should they choose to, which I think is the key thing here is that he's leaving it up to the respective arenas. So even though we have the option, we don't necessarily know if the Pagulas are going to want to do this. My inclination off the bat is to think that they probably would, whether you want to say it's for money reasons or morale for the players, whatever you want to go with money reasons. But yeah, Taylor, what are your, what are your, your immediate thoughts on this announcement? Do you think that fans should even be allowed to be there given the state of things? Uh, not especially. So it's kind of a, a nuanced thing. Um, for starters, we just went through this whole thing with the bills where the bills let in like 10% capacity. couple things though, that makes it different. Cause I was cool with the bills thing, especially with the way they did it. First of all, it was the Bills making the playoffs and hosting two home playoff games. Pretty big. First time in a very long time. I think since December 1996, maybe. You know, that's that's a long time. It's mm-hmm. It was kind of important. Two, outdoors. A lot more safe. I don't know why. I'm not an epidemiologist, but based on all the data we have, I can understand that. Doing things outdoors seems to be infinitesimally uh less or well i'll just let me let me rephrase that exponentially more safe Mm -hmm. than doing things indoors i have no idea why but that's basically what we have in a year full of data there's there's no way around that right three it took a lot of resources to actually do this thing for the bills like everyone had to get tested they had to verify all that but the resources were worth it because it was a bills playoff game now we're dealing with the savers regular season (laughs) second to that second to my second point which is getting confusing forget i said second 
they're still in the middle of an outbreak. They, they aren't playing tomorrow night. The day you're hearing this podcast Thursday, they're supposed to play a game on the road, of course, but still they're not playing it because nine guys are out with COVID, including the coach. So this is, this. I mean, I know Cuomo doesn't care about the timing, like specifically how the Sabres are doing. Like it's an entire state thing. So like theoretically this affects the Rangers and the Islanders and the Knicks and the Nets and other people like maybe Syracuse basketball and stuff. But it, the, the Sabres commented on it today. The Sabres released a statement today. And it's like, can you maybe acknowledge that this is a bad time to do this for your team? Because we don't even know when they're playing again. We don't know for sure when they'll play again. We mm-hmm. have an idea that they might play next week. But we'll see. Because just before we got on here today, they just confirmed that all nine guys are still on the list, which means no one was added and no one was taken off. So none of those guys are back. None of those guys are cleared. And that includes a 61-year-old coach who there hasn't been much of an update on. Other than the very eerie comments that Kevin Adams low-key gave yesterday, I don't know if you caught that. Did you manage to? Yes. You want, so do you want to give a, like a, an overview of that? Absolutely, I do. Yeah, for sure. So um, yesterday was the Sabre. Well, actually, no, I shouldn't say yesterday. I should say it would be when or it would be Tuesday at this point. On Tuesday, the Sabres returned to the ice because it was the first time that they were even able to practice after the start of the outbreak. Coinciding with that, Kevin Adams did a virtual press conference. And within that, he was quoted as saying, and I just want to make it clear, I'm reading off of a tweet from Adam Benini. uh, Ralph Kruger is being looked after. If he's able to get out of protocols, he'll be back. If he's not, we'll adjust. Right now, we're just making sure we're supporting Ralph. So, to I mean, want to make it clear, completely speculating here. We don't know specifically how affected Kruger is. We do know that he has been experiencing symptoms, but we don't know the degree to which he is really feeling the effects of this. However, I don't know if it's just me, but those comments really didn't inspire a whole lot of confidence in me in terms of like how well he's doing. Um, as you had mentioned, I mean, he's over 60 years old and obviously he's in very great shape, but to, I guess, put it like that, where it's like, if he's good, great. And if he's not, we'll figure it out. I don't know. It just doesn't really inspire a lot of confidence in terms of how he's doing right now. Am I reading into it too much? What do you think? No, because that is a strange, it's a strange way to put it. Cause if, if Ralph was fine, he could just be like, Ralph's fine. Right. Uh, and there's, there's a privacy issues that he doesn't, maybe he doesn't know what, what Ralph wants people to know about his symptoms, but yeah, the way he put it was a little bit, well, it leads to speculation like this should also know that assistant coach Don Granado has not been on the ice, uh, with the team the past two days. They've, I should say they got back to practicing on Tuesday. So the past two days of practice, he's been up in the stands watching and he's the one, if you remember us saying this, remember for the story from last season, he was very sick with pneumonia. His lungs were in terrible shape. He was like in the ICU for a while. He missed a ton of time. He's back now, but that he's probably immunocompromised or has a comorbidity with that now with his lungs. So there's some thought that he might not actually be on the bench for the next game, whenever it is. He's not sure. So if he's out and Kruger's out, that's going to be a, a strange situation. There's no bringing up any coaches from Rochester because their season started. Right. So it's going to be a very thin bench. I mean, the, the want coach Steve would, Smith running the bench. 
Well, he'll be running the bench regardless, but who else is going to be on there with him? Well, that's, I'm just saying him being kind of the one running the show. I don't know if that's necessarily something I'm too thrilled about. I know I'm not thrilled about it. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, this, you know, desperate times, all that stuff, but certainly. certainly yeah. So definitely. I think, it's, so I think it's interesting with Cuomo's slide from today uh, that he, that he noted uh, that there has to be a negative PCR test within 72 hours of the event. So you have to take a test and get it back, which is an interesting, that'll cre- create interesting. You know how they're going to communicate that like to people? No, no, I have no idea to the team. I do wonder, cause it, it doesn't seem like it's the easiest thing in the world to get a test, get your results and get to a game within 72 hours. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Right. But I don't know. Maybe they'll have something figured out with that. I, we don't really know with that yet. This is starting February 23rd, by the way. So this is almost two weeks, two weeks from now, basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then also, obviously, there'll be masks and social distance seating. So I'm not like, obviously, the decision from the state is it comes down to like, do we want to start doing things we think are at least moderately safe? And I understand the decision from the state. Like, I'm not even, I don't really have too much of a comment on that. It's just more like, what annoyed me, I guess, is I should clarify, is the Sabres kind of jumping on it really like, hey, we're working on it without an acknowledgement that things are going pretty poorly right now. And the other thing is that, I don't know. I mean, it seems like a lot of effort to go through uh, to watch this team. We'll see how they come back. Maybe they'll come back pretty strong. Who knows? But yeah. Yeah. I mean, I would be curious to know, and I'm sure it would add up, of course, over time, but the operational costs of having expanded amenities at the arena for only 1700 people, like what, how they're weighing that. Because to me, like, yeah, I, you know, it, it's better than nothing, of course. And like I said, I'm sure over time it will add up, but I have to think that the capacity at which it takes to be able to have, like to have fans in the arena, like from like a staffing perspective, you know, like that is probably going to be pretty costly. And I, I'm just curious. I'm just, of course, speculating right now, but I, I would be curious to know, I guess, like how that would offset, if that makes sense. Um, just because again, like 1700 or, you know, 1900 people, whatever it is, that's, it's not that many people, uh, in the grand scheme of things. The other concern that I have as well, and I'm sure that this will be addressed, but the downstairs atrium of KeyBank center is not the most conducive for having large gatherings of people who are supposed to be really spread out. Um, you know, I, I think a huge part of all of this, as we know, is that, the seating in the stadium for the games is going to be spread out. Like you're not going to be able to be sitting next to strangers. I mean, of course, if you're having, you know, 18,000 less people in there than you normally would. Um, But even still, you know, a few hundred people in that downstairs area that would add up and take up a lot of space. So I'd be curious to know, I guess, what the precautions that they're going to take in terms of getting people in and getting tickets, you know, scanned. Yeah, they did this for the Bills, too. I think you had a specific time, like a window to come in. Mm-hmm. So but that then I guess that kind of – but that brings it back to the point that you had made, though, where with the Bills, it was like we had a – they had a whole week to prepare for this, and now you're going to tell me you're going to take two weeks, and every few days you're going to be able to do this, and you're going to have the capacity to do this? I mean, I don't know what – 
again, it just goes back to staffing for me. Like, do you have the people to make this entire operation happen? And is it worth doing that for 1700 people? Yeah, and do people of the interest? I, I kind of wonder. That too. It shouldn't no, be that's that fair. hard to get. I think there's like low 20s is the number of home games they have left in the regular season. I wonder how many people per game you're going to get out. Because like we said, like it, you, you do have to get that test. You have to show that. That's a whole hassle. You're going to have to go wear a mask the entire time. You can go with, I don't know if it's going to be groups of two, groups of four, maybe. Like, I don't know how that's going to break down. You're going to have that whole thing with specific time coming in. And then again, attendance has not been good for the Sabres in terms of people actually showing up Mm -hmm. the past, I don't know, seven or eight years. I know that their attendance number is actually always good because they have a ton of season ticket holders. But man, they really, you go to a game and those season ticket holders aren't showing up every night and they're not always able to sell their tickets. Like right before all this happened about a year ago. Yeah. Brendan is pointing to himself right now. <laughs> um, we went to a Columbus game. We did last February, almost a year ago now. And it was during the week. It was Thursday though. I'm pretty sure which Thursday, you know, usually that's one of the better attendance games. No, mm-hmm. it was a really fun overtime win, but no, there was a not great. And I mean, the attendance they read off was like, Oh, there's like 18,900 people here. Or right. We're right, well, you know, pretty close to a sellout. No, Mm-mm. there's not. There's not even close to that many people there. Um, but anyway, bringing it back to the NHL, this is something that that just came across Twitter on last night's Vegas Anaheim game. Mm-hmm. This is another problem. Oh no, the NHL. Another one. Bad week. Great. I'll say that bad couple weeks. Uh, they announced today uh, that immediately upon notification one of its players had returned a positive test for covid the vegas golden knights removed forward thomas nozick from tuesday's game versus anaheim in precise accordance with the terms of the league's covid protocol nozick was immediately isolated from his teammates and close contact tracing was begun also in accordance with the protocol blah 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 the tomorrow night's game remains scheduled all right so basically they were waiting results of his test while he was playing and then is he, that it, not it turned, crazy? It, it like, turned out it, his test was positive and they had to pull him. Is, is that not the, like so crazy though? <laughs> so you're going to allow guys to play while you're waiting for the results of their test? Yep. Like, come on, what are you doing? That is absolutely insane. It's such an easy thing. Like you should just, oh my God. That, that I did not know that. I guess the extent to which that was happening. That is fucking embarrassing hey literally just that came across doing, twitter that is yeah that's so that's, that's a huge problem oh my like God. the league really really needs to use exclusively rapid testing and i and not even exclusively but use it more often because rapid testing gives you some false positives which is a problem but it's not as big as a problem as false negatives which is not something that actually it's not it's not either or obviously mm-hmm. but the false positive might just mean like oh you're gonna lose this guy for a game and you shouldn't have right whereas what you get now is oops we didn't have the results in time and uh, a bunch of guys played and uh, oh yeah, this is the sport where you can spread it to the other team. I mean, the NHL has to be more prepared than this, more prepared than they are. They have to, they have to really start thinking about this. It makes me legitimately angry. Yes. <laughs> like I, you just saying that makes me so mad that they actually, the level at which they are just so unprepared for 
every single obstacle that has been put in their way. Like they are just so reactionary in a situation where being proactive is paramount. Yes. And this isn't new, obviously this season started 10 months after COVID became a thing in America, basically more than 10 months. And it, I'm not the first person to notice. I'm not breaking ground here or breaking news in the podcast when I say it's more unsafe to be indoors. Like it's safer to be outdoors. And that was, you know, born out in the baseball and football seasons when there was no cross team transmission of COVID. During the early in the NBA season, I don't know if that was ever verified, but there was a lot of cases and it was like, you know, uh oh, what's going to go on with this NBA season? Obviously, they made some improvements. Maybe some guys figured some stuff out. They learned to be more safe and more isolated. On the other hand, the NHL has an obvious cross-team transmission. The two linesmen that worked the Sabres and Devils game are sick, two of them. Obviously, nine Sabres are on protocol, and you know that the Devils obviously also have 14 or whatever guys. Mm-hmm. So it's a problem. And this isn't – not even the indoor thing. Hockey in specifically, before the season came out, there was a long informed article in the Washington Post about what's the problem with youth hockey. Why is this doing so much worse than every other youth sport in terms of people getting COVID, which unfortunately they centered the story around some like coaches that had died, which is terrible. But, you know, throughout the summer, kids with precautions played softball and baseball and soccer and whatnot. And it wasn't that much of a problem. People play basketball. It's definitely more high risk. I'm sure wrestling is crazy high risk, Mm -hmm. but hockey was the number one, like, sport where you had teams having to cancel games isolate uh shut down do pauses whatever and now that's the same thing's happening in the nhl so as i said a couple weeks ago i'll say it again and i know gary bettman listens to this podcast (laughs) um you need to do a bubble for the playoffs now right now it seems like if they don't do the bubble they're banking on the fact that they're gonna be able to jump the line to get vaccines which that's just luck i don't think he has any guarantee of that or two, that there's going to be some kind of herd immunity by then, either via vaccine or otherwise. And I, even though things are improving, that's definitely not clear. And it doesn't matter if things are like pretty good overall, because as we're being shown right now, one case can ruin everything. Like this, this cross-team transmission thing can really screw things up. And the fact that there's, in a hockey locker room, there's 20 plus guys, 20 guys plus coaches and whoever else all in a pretty small room comparatively all with less space than you you really get. I mean, football locker rooms are huge. A lot of guys, but they're huge. Uh, basketball locker rooms, you got way fewer guys, baseball dressing rooms. I mean, I don't know. You, you get the point. Mm-hmm. You can get one guy. Uh, let's say in the playoffs, you have the St. Louis blues. You have Ryan O'Reilly, for example, a guy we're familiar with say, you know, there's Never no heard of him. <laughs> so he's, he's going home every night and let's say he's married i have no idea if he's actually married and his wife met her friend for coffee or her friend came over whatever and her friend was asymptomatic carrying covid gives it to his wife his wife gives it to him he goes to the blues he gives it to four or five guys in the locker room right away before any before any test can pick it up because let's say it's day zero or day one of exposure and now they can give it to 
I don't know who are the blues even in the same division as right now. I'm, I'm drawing a blank, like <laughs> Vegas. Let's say they're playing Vegas in the yeah, first These yeah. divisions have me so screwed up. I was yeah, going to, yeah, yeah. I was going to say Edmonton, but it's like, Oh yeah, they're not in the same <laughs> conference. There's not conferences anymore. Right. What a weird year. Really worth it. Thanks guys. Uh, but anyway, and now like seven guys on Vegas have it. Now you have to shut down the whole series because now both teams are screwed. Mm-hmm. And it can start with one person. People don't realize that. It can start with one person. Taylor, that's literally probably what happened with New Jersey. <laughs> yes, it's probably what happens that's every probably time. probably happened to Kyle Palmieri and his wife. And- this is how every major spread starts. It starts with like, in except for like rare cases, like the Sturgis motorcycle rally. It's like... Okay, one person had it at like a Halloween party in West Seneca, and they gave it to eight people at the party, and then those eight people all went home or went to work or saw someone else, and now 16 people have it. That's how it goes everywhere in the world. It doesn't stop because you have the playoffs to get through. So you have to do a bubble, and you should do it in Canada because they've been a lot better about it than the United States. So they right now I think they have about a, a quarter of the case rate like per population. Mm-hmm. So they really have they really have to think about that. Now, changing gears real quick back to what we were talking about. I find it I found it strange today that I think of the concept of going to a Sabres game because it's it stopped being like a possibility in my head, I think. I hadn't even considered it because I haven't like when I think about all the things I want to do, you know, when I have the <laughs> vaccine or when things get better in general. I'd love to go to a bar for like 10 straight hours and not think about having to be safe. I'd love to, I'd love to, oh yeah, definitely. I'd love to have it go to a huge party. I'd love love to have 50 people at my apartment. I'd love to. I'm just going to kiss you right on the mouth. Yeah, I'd love to start tongue tongue kissing the fellas again. (laughs) I'd love to go to the movies, all the stuff that like, yeah, like stuff and do all that stuff while feeling safe. I was thinking about going to the Bills home opener next year in all likelihood going on vacation. Where does the Sabres game rank for you in this? I hadn't even considered it. <laughs> I think that's partially because I never uh, pay for Sabres games pretty much because why would you? Um, I always just get tickets for free <laughs> from people like you or like my uncle. Basically, And I don't even do it like, oh, you have tickets? Let me let me buy some off you. It's I'm always – like it happens like four or five times a year. Someone's like, you want to go with me or do you want my tickets? Like my uncle – Want to go uh, hit, gave watch me, some hockey tonight? Yeah, my uncle gave me tickets for like Christmas, my birthday, which are very close together for like the past, oh my God, I guess 20 years, all the way back to 2000. Jesus, wow. more than 20 years. And this year for Christmas, before Christmas, I don't think there was a season set. Yeah, there, there was no real, so he couldn't give me them. And I didn't even think about it. So I got my card. I was like, oh yeah, that's I'm not going to get them this year. So it hasn't been a possibility to me, which leads me to this point. You sound it's so only, heartbroken. I don't know how you're handling this. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> I was actually thinking about going to see the Bulls at the United Center, and I hadn't even considered seeing the Sabres again. Wow. I that's, pretty, that's pretty bold. That is pretty nuts. Yeah. So, so what, what I was going to say is – Do we go to one of these COVID games together then? Do we try? Uh, let, let's leave it under consideration. I don't want to close the door on that, but I also definitely don't want to say yes I'm yet. Super leaning no on it, but I wanted to just see what you would say. <laughs> we'll see. It's something to it's something to consider, but big we'll see. Yeah, so big, we'll see. If the NHL really trucks through this season in playoffs without pausing too much and not falling off its state, they'll have a semi-normal start the next season. Maybe like I don't know. Maybe they'll just go screw it. You're having a two month off season, two and a half month off season. We're starting 
second week of October like normal. Maybe they'll go late October, whatever. Either way, they'll be there in the fall. And I'm more than confident that things will be under control with COVID by then. You know, I, no scare tactics. I know that that's not a huge relief either to be like late October, things will be great. Dude, that would be amazing. That, I mean, that's what I'm hoping for. If we're good by the fall, I will, I'll take it, whatever. I'll struggle through another no summer. If it means that we can actually do things by the fall, I, I don't care. Just do it, whatever. Get a shot in my arm and let's go. I'm, I'm not an optimistic person. You know this. You? The, listen, the listeners know this. The listeners definitely know this. <laughs> Everyone who knows me knows this. I'm not optimistic. I think that, I, and again, I'm not an epidemiologist. This is just some things I've been considering and reading and whatnot. I think you'll be good before the fall. I think we'll wow. all be good before the fall. I mean, just, just a quick dose of optimism because, you know, I don't do that. Uh, I, just so I don't have to make my point for like 14 straight minutes. Um, <laughs> just there's, there's a thing right now, right? Here's, here's, the, here's the thing. We are dropping pretty quick in rates of infection, even though deaths are still lagging behind like they always do. We've dropped like 50% in like three weeks. Drop, more than 50%. I can't do math. We've dropped, we've cut it in half. Now, we cut it in half from like the most unbelievably bad time when there was yeah. like 250 yeah. to 300,000 new cases a day, 4,000 new deaths every day. Like, and that was like the post Thanksgiving, post Christmas boom still. Mm-hmm. And so you could just say this, this has nothing to do with anything. This is just like, we're just coming down from that. On the other hand, I'd say it won't be that bad again. That it literally cannot be that bad again. I mean, it can be, but I don't think it will be. And we're up to, I think more than 10% of Americans have at least one of the vaccine, like have had at least one dose of the vaccine, which one dose isn't complete and it doesn't, you know, save everything or save you from everything, but it does provide good solid protection, the Moderna and Pfizer vaccines. Like it pre- prevents it at a, I don't know what the rate is with one dose. And then obviously get the second dose and a couple weeks later, boom, you're not, you know, immunized, but you, it's really hard for you to get it. And then obviously I'm explaining something everyone knows, but eventually enough people get it and it's no problem. So 10% is not very many, but it's a dent. And as we go, that'll be more of a dent. On the other hand, looking at places like South Dakota and North Dakota, they had the Sturgis motorcycle rally in the summer. They had, they, the cases went unbelievable considering how rural, how spread out people are, how not dense those states are and how you know just a low population their numbers were staggering mm-hmm. just unbelievable numbers like thousands of people getting sick at like more than biggest a thousand a day. numbers yeah the i biggest. hate that i just did that yeah come on sorry um <laughs> let's leave that behind you're using your hands and describing it enthusiastically <laughs> i'm gonna do, you know what elizabeth warren does that too maybe i was doing an impression of her uh, um so so do a lot of people I could be a politician. They, they love using their hands. Anyway, what I'm saying is now they don't have numbers and they very proudly, at least elected officials were like, we're not doing anything. We're not doing mass mandates. We're not doing any basically protective measures at all. We're not shutting things down and things stayed really bad for a really long time there. And a lot of people died. They have some of the highest like per capita deaths in the country, even though again, no population density, but now the things are completely turned around there, which I guess you could kind of assume is like so many people have it, have had it there that like they're getting close to a herd immunity. And I'm not just making that up. I saw something or I saw something, Jesus. I read a story in the New York Times and an epidemiologist was basically quoted as saying that obviously we haven't caught all the cases of COVID. 
So we don't actually know how many people in any given area have had it. But he estimated that as many 60% of people in South Dakota had it. And pretty similar in North Dakota. Wow, that's like 47 people, right? Yeah, yeah. So they're basically like they're getting close to the old-fashioned herd immunity. Wow. Which means that that could be like a nationwide trend of those two things meeting the middle. Like some states, as he mentioned, he thinks less than 10% of people in Vermont have had it, which means that the vaccine will be super important in a place like Vermont where people don't have the old-fashioned, you know, mm-hmm. immunization, whatever. So my point here is those things could be slowly meeting in the middle while it also is getting warmer all across the country, which means people can start going outside again and having things outside. And it can be like last summer cases are down, except with way more people that are immune in one way or another or have the vaccine or probably won't get it because of that, mm-hmm. which means I think things are going to get slowly and slowly better and slowly more safe. And then it just won't be like one day, like, oh, my God, it's over. You know, it'll, we're not going to hit 70% and it's going to go from like, ah, oh, Jesus, this sucks to like, hey, we're free. It's not going to be like New Year's. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's not going to be like New Year's. And you want, I mean, maybe you'll be drunk. Who knows? Probably by that point. Yeah. But yeah, this is my dose of optimism. I think things, they already started to get better, but you might not have seen it yet. And I don't blame you because things are so bad still right now. We're still having, still like noting 3000 people dying a day, like a lot of days. It's not good. Obviously, this whole thing's been bad. It's been a failure on every level. But I promise, I prom- I'm not going to promise. Why the hell am I promising? I think we're on a really good track and things aren't going to get worse from here on out. Now, having said that, that means I think we'll be in COVID-wise really good shape by October, November, whenever the Sabres come back. I don't have any faith the Sabres will be in any kind of good shape or that we'll ever see Taylor Hall or Jordan Stahl. Jordan Stahl, Jesus, I sound like Rick Jenner, right? Eric Stahl, skate. But what I wanted to ask you is, coming into next fall, mm-hmm. are you excited at all? Do you have any plans, like, if you go to a Sabres game to, like, you know, go down there early, like, for a Saturday game, go to the <laughs> brew house, go to 716, God forbid? I can confidently tell you that that thought has not once crossed my mind at all. Um, it didn't but, cross mine either till today. I would say though, that I probably will go to the home opener next year. Um, just because I can for one and just having the option to, will be nice like to safely do it. So for that reason, I will, um, I want to see who they eventually will end up signing to bury UPL in the AHL for another year. Um, I want to, I mean, who knows? Who knows who's even going to be on the team by that point? But uh, yeah, I mean, I guess I'll go. I'm not really over the moon, like can't wait for the start of next season. Um, I still have plenty of time to get mad about this season before then. Yeah. So uh, yeah, I don't know. I guess we'll see. What about you? What are your thoughts? I just found myself being like, you know what? Maybe even if they suck, I should, you know, go with my friends to like brew house or seven one six before games and spend time in that area. Like, I really haven't been to that area. At I all mean, if this is your way of inviting me to do that with you, like I'm in, you just had to say so. Uh, if you're asking me out on a date, just like ask me. I'm actually busy that Sabres game. So. All right. Hey, we'll be right back. I'm going to go fuck myself <laughs> really quick. Um, 
Wow. All right. Anyways, maybe we can transition now out of the uh, COVID conversation and into another conversation that has been storming the nation this week. Who's the GOAT? So when we were talking about what we were going to discuss on this episode and that came up, it really got me to think even further about the fact that I feel like when we're having this conversation, nobody does a good job of defining what goat really means like what because i feel like everybody's interpretation of like what it means to be the best of all time is very subjective and so in thinking about it i think that it comes down to in my opinion how you dominated your respective sport at the time that you played in it and also if people in other generations are able to dominate it in a similar way. So with that being said, there was one person who really came to mind right off the bat. And I swear to God, I'm not just saying this because it's a hockey podcast, but like I legitimately do think from a longevity perspective and a production perspective and a success perspective, I really think it's Wayne Gretzky because who even let's be real here. Nobody, not Connor McDavid, nobody is going to catch his points record. I know that the league, the way that it was back then is obviously a lot different than it is now. And scoring was a much more welcomed commodity, but is there any comparative where you can say like in Gretzky's case that he has more assists than the next closest person has total points? Like, is there any, any comparable comparison? Can, and you know for a fact there is no way that in no matter what happens like I just I can't foresee any way that the NHL will hit a, le- a level again where guys are going to be putting up 200 points a season like Wayne Gretzky literally put up 215 points in 80 games he put up 163 assists in that season he was averaging two assists a game okay that is absolutely preposterous like how do you do that he he his run from i mean god it's so funny because i'm like well it starts with 200 there but the season before he only had 164 points going from like in the 80s from 81 from 81 82 all the way through or actually no from 80 81 to 90 91 his guess what his low in points was I'm going to say like 170, 149, but you know, oh my God, he was what, a bomb. what year was that? And it was when he played 64 games. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Isn't that incredible? 149 points in 64 games. I'm like, what are you, what do you mean? I don't That's know. Wild. So to me, when you and then of course we all know i mean it, he's got the cups he's got the mvps he has everything that you would want in a player and i think the thing that really does separate him is that if you look at all major sports there is nobody who is just so unattainable for reaching what they've done you can maybe make the argument with tom brady considering he has seven super bowls to his name but oh from real a, quick from no, a, he from doesn't a, no, he doesn't. You're right. But from a a like personal perspective and a personal performance perspective, I don't think that anybody in any sport 
can come close. Now, don't get me wrong. There's a lot of other people who definitely belong in the conversation. Um, you know, Serena Williams name has been thrown around a lot. Definitely agree there when we're talking about dominance within a sport. I, I think anybody who says Michael Jordan or LeBron, you can certainly make that argument as well. I would definitely have time to hear that. Um, I'm blanking on some of the other names that people have, have thrown out there, but I, to me, it just doesn't seem like anybody had the, the personal success, the team success and just the inter like deck or no, I don't even know how to describe it. it was just the, the dominance, regardless of the decade, like nobody before Gretzky and nobody after him can do what he has done. And you really can't say that about, I feel like many other athletes in, in different sports. What are your thoughts? Okay. So the, the way this question was posed originally uh, was that is Tom Brady the, now the greatest athlete of all time? And let me, let me start with this before <laughs> I even get into that stupid ass question is that you, no one asked this question. No one asked that question at all before this year. No one asked it this November. No one asked it December. No one even asked it after the Washington win or even the Saints win in the, in the divisional round. They asked it after the NFC championship game where he threw three interceptions and was bailed out by his defense and stupid coaching by Lafleur and Rogers, you know, in a key play, not running instead, you know, instead making a pass ill-advised play instead of running yeah. a couple of things like that. He didn't play terribly, obviously, but he didn't play well at all in the second half. Like I said, three goddamn interceptions. That's not the only guy to ever do that. Did it twice. Three interceptions. Got sent to the Super Bowl. Incredible. Anyway, mm-hmm. I'm not mad. And then the Super Bowl where he Definitely played. Definitely not mad. Super Bowl where he just on his last throw broke 200 yards for under seven yards an attempt. I'd like to point that out. Point it out. He won MVP. He threw for 200 yards and seven yards, under seven yards an attempt. Well, dude, that goes, <laughs> I mean, that's the thing. This, this all goes back. This entire season with Brady goes back to the fact that he walked in to a situation where he had two Pro Bowl caliber receivers. You have a top five defense with ridiculous playmakers all over from the line to the linebackers to the secondary you get Gronk back, who is your dude. The, their pattern the entire game was first down, either incomplete pass or short throw, usually short, like between zero and three yard game. And then their running backs got them to third and shorts. Otherwise, they don't score it. It's just a boring, low scoring game. Mm-hmm. So who's your goat? Anyway, that's what I'm what I'm getting at with this point is people went from he's not the greatest athlete of all time and watched that one. Is he the greatest athlete of all time? So no, like the reason I interjected earlier is because he doesn't have seven Super Bowls. The teams he played on have seven Super Bowls. And you want to say, okay, but you know, team success is important. That's why you play. True. But I would note that Robert Ory has seven championships. And you'd be like, oh, Robert Ory's a role player. And I would say, okay, then the, what they did matters more than the fact that they won. And you'd have to be like, yes. And be like, okay, then what they do in the playoffs can be an accomplishment but it has to be judged against what someone else of the same position did in the playoffs right so that means like if aaron Rodgers and drew Brees actually have better per uh game playoff numbers than him you'd have to be like wow maybe there's something else to this i'm not going to get into that whole fucking spiel again i won't even i'm not even going to do it no way <laughs> i'm not secondly, asking you to <laughs> the question is before we, so now i got that whole preamble all the way the question is is he the greatest athlete 
ever, which means is he the best athlete at any position in any sport in the history of the world? How would anyone answer that? Ever. How is anyone qualified to answer that? That's like you're taking sumo wrestling. You're talking about everyone who's ever played soccer everywhere. You're talking about every track athlete everywhere. You're talking about every sport ever. And just real quick to to go back to this real quick. No, I don't think he's the best athlete in the history of the world ever. I don't think he's uh, the best American athlete ever. I don't think he's the best American male athlete ever. I don't think he's the best football player ever. And I don't think he's the best quarterback ever. And last, he's not the best quarterback of his era. Okay, that's where I stand on that. So obviously I'm a no. But the question in general, because everyone was answering it with like supreme confidence that it's Serena Williams. Like even the athletic cover, it was like Serena, Simone Biles, uh, I don't remember if LeBron was on there, like Tiger. It's like, these are all just people from the last 25 years in America. So it's an, abs- it's an absurd question. I mean, goddamn, Taylor, it's a fucking Twitter question. I don't know. Like, I'm sorry. <laughs> okay, but you could just easily do, is he the best American athlete of all time or North American? Okay, then is he is he the best North American athlete of all time? Yeah, obviously not. I think that I- that was implied with... <laughs> Like the outlets that are asking this, like, do you think that ESPN tweeting out is Tom Brady the goat? Do you think that they're like being like, I wonder if somebody's going to respond with the best sumo wrestler from the fifties or. Okay. Then what about just soccer then? Oh, you could definitely make that argument. Nobody said you couldn't. There's definitely guys you can make that argument for. Okay. Well, soccer has been played like everywhere in the world for like more than a hundred years. How do you even judge who the best soccer player is? All right. Nobody is allowed to ask subjective opinion questions. No, no, no. No, I disagree. That's that's not it. That's just an unanswerable question. Okay. I would even say this. Who in America? It's about having some fun with it and just picking somebody. It's not this like scientific thing where we have No, But it is though, because even with you saying Gretzky, can you really say Gretzky is better than Serena? Can you even make like a, an okay I gave argument you about what that? My, I gave you what my argument was, which is that I based it on several different parameters, which was individual accomplishments. If it's a team sport, what the team accomplishments are and your comparables to people both in your generation and from the history before and after you, if anybody can come like measurably close to what you physically did because you could say in the NHL's case, well, maybe I think that Mario Lemieux is a better hockey player than Gretzky, but he didn't play enough games to make that case. So you can't say him. Yeah. Actually that's a quick, quick, since this is a hockey podcast, people are going to get mad. Yeah. Like Lemieux and or their peaks may have been better than Gretzky, but Gretzky uh, played a full career. Neither of them did. And he had the longevity success too. And he dominated his era. Don't say everyone in the 80s scored. It's not true. Anyway, back to this point, I'm not saying that I'm asking, I'm saying this, here's the thing, even if we just break it down to North American sports and do race of all time, you are someone that knows a lot about hockey. And I think both of us, uh, like a lot of sports. So, you know, a lot about baseball, true, right? You're yeah. a fan of baseball. You're a fan of the NBA. Yeah. You're a fan of, I don't know, another sport. Are you a fan of any other sports? I mean, football, the NFL, yeah, the NFL, obviously, yeah, we were talking about football. So let's, those are just the big four. Yeah. I mean, I like other stuff too, but like, that's the, I mean, hockey, basketball, and football are the ones I follow the most. Exactly. And everyone who's a sports fan for the most part has more than one sport that they follow, but who reasonably follows all four sports plus tennis, plus golf, plus the Olympics. We'll just leave it at that. Like swimming, whatever. We'll just leave it at that. 
Nobody, nobody's qualified to answer this. There's no good answer to this. You need someone to be like someone who dedicates their entire life to watching every sport to just get near it. Like I can't argue. I've, I have no idea who the second best women's tennis player is of all time. Or maybe there's someone who's better than Serena that I've never heard of and people are just caught up in the moment. That's probably not true. Seems like Serena's played a lot longer than everyone else. I mean, you could say like Tiger, the best golfer ever or is it Jack Nicholas? Like whatever, like all these arguments. My point is it's the most absurd question. The way they phrased it, you know, we're in the we're in the communication business. Phrase it better. Don't don't leave it up to me to decide that you don't literally mean what you said. Athletic, ESPN, whoever else asked this, random sports writers. And then and after that, like there's this other idea idea that I think a lot of people had, which I think is the other problem with this question is people use it as like most athletic. So like the Bo Jackson answer. If you go by accomplishments in sports, Bo Jackson's not close, but he might be the most athletic person that's ever lived. But that's not that's very obviously not the the actual answer, I think. You know what I mean? Like people say people say that every like every once in a while that whoever's the reigning gold medalist in the Olympics as a in the decathlon is the best athlete in the world. And I'm always like, that's stupid. No one tries to do the decathlon. There's like 40 guys in the whole world that care about it. Like you're, you're not, you're not, it's obviously you have a variety of talents, but it's a very shallow pool. Whereas how many people in the world try to play soccer or basketball? You know what I'm saying here? You, you get, you, All right, everybody. Well, we hope you've enjoyed this episode of Fuck Off Brendan. I mean, straight up sabers. No, I'm not. This is this was aimed at them. It's not Dude, aimed at you. I, gave I don't you what think, the parameters that I was going by were, though. You're like I like I get it, but like <laughs> But your thing only works for team sports, which is fine. If you want to give your team sports answer as Gretzky, I think that's probably the best answer you can give. So I'm not I'm not saying that this is a bad on you. I'm talking about the question in general. I know. See, I wanted you to go first here because mine doesn't make sense to go for. It doesn't make sense for me to do this and then you say Gretzky. Well, you could have told me that this was what your take was gonna be. <laughs> yeah, I said. Well, I did text you that I wanted to rant about it. Um, but but I thought that meant the usual that you were gonna just get pissed off about Tom Brady for a while and then you'd give a good argument for why somebody else is the better choice. I could, but the problem is there's like a hundred of those people. It's not even fucking close. Okay, this is, I don't want to get too much. We're unraveling, folks. We're falling apart. I'm going to talk with my hands more. Brady, I am too. So like I was getting at, like the the most athletic thing, that doesn't make sense because like, no, because you don't have time in your life to specialize because no matter what, these sports all take specialized skills. So you can play two at You can't quantify that. You can't quantify who the most athletic person in the world is. You just can't. Yeah. And if you're going to say the deck athlete, like I said, no one tries to do it. So don't even, don't do that. Because no one gives a shit about that. (laughs) Second. All right. We're back folks. We're uniting over getting mad at these decathloners. Yeah. Well, shut up, Malcolm Gladwell, you pervert. Also, okay, like Deion Sanders played two sports and he was, well, he's a professional at both of them. He's incredible, like one of the best of all time at one and just pretty good at the other. Bo Jackson was an all-star in two sports, but had like a very short career in both because of injuries. But Bo Jackson would have never had time to like get specialized enough to make the NBA like or play mm-hmm. hockey. Or, I mean, there's other things he could have tried that he could have been pretty good at, but like then you're just guessing. So right. that's, that's a stupid way to look at it, honestly, to me. I, so I, I took it as what you took it as, like who was the best at their sport. And I obviously took that as unanswerable. But I think if you boil it down, what I'm going to do real quick, to just Olympic athletes, that includes like track, includes everything, winter and uh, mm-hmm. summer Olympics, um, 
soccer players. Uh, the four major American sports plus tennis and golf, mm-hmm. which I think is all the things I was thinking of earlier. If you're just going to do that, I think you could do it easily. Everyone ever mentioned Simone Biles. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Serena Williams. Yes. Mm-hmm. Tiger Woods. Yes. Yep. Michael Phelps. Yes. Mm-hmm. I think I'm only on American still, but like soccer players, a few like Messi's playing right now. Messi. Yes. Ronaldo. Mm-hmm. Yes. Pele. Yes. Pele. Who doesn't love Pele? Folks, Neymar, <laughs> cocaine king. But look, look, look at more specifically at the contemporaries. LeBron started two years after Brady. He started two years after Brady started. He came in the league three years after Brady came into the NFL. Obviously, he was 18. Brady was 23 when he came to the NFL. So not the exact same timeline. LeBron is also a reigning champion right now and a reigning finals MVP, and he goddamn deserved it. He was the best player on a finals team. Basketball is fundamentally different than football, obviously. But I think I would be hard-pressed to listen to an argument that Brady is a better career than LeBron. LeBron now has four championships, and need, MVPs. You know, I don't need. I don't need to break it down. But I don't need to. Hear, I don't need to. Nobody needs to hear that because it's just LeBron is better. Yeah, and yeah. that's what I mean. Like, if you want to, yeah. I, I, in terms of one of the four major sports, if you want to even quantify it down to that, because I agree that I think there's a different. Uh, it's a difficult level of like weighing that you have to do when comparing team sports to personal ones like tennis or golf or um, certain uh, Olympic events, like you were alluding to before. But when it comes down to the team sports, even though I'm, I pretty strongly believe that it's Gretzky, somebody can absolutely convince me that it's LeBron. And that would even also that argument, you can even honestly tie in the fact that like, if you want me to like describe to you what I think like an athlete is, I mean, like LeBron is the epitome of that. Like he is just a goddamn beast. He is awesome. And he is in his, he's what? 36 now still awesome. He just won a championship. Like he like what? 10 finals appearances, right? Yeah. I I mean, my God. Probably important to note on this too. Uh, Mike Brown, Eric Spolstra, David Blatt, Tyron Liu, Frank Vogel, the five coaches he's brought to championships. I would say two of those are pretty good. The other three, good on you, Bron. Yeah. Um, but yeah, th- that's why I think particularly is crazy. And I, I just even breaking it down, like I still think this. I'd love someone to tell me why they think a guy – so he's won three MVPs. This isn't all MVPs. LeBron hasn't won the most MVPs in the NBA ever. Yeah. But, like, Brady has won three MVPs. Aaron Rodgers has won three MVPs. He just won his third MVP. Peyton Manning won five MVPs. Mm-hmm. And, frankly, to break it down further, if I asked you who the best quarterback of the aughts was, you'd be crazy if you said it wasn't Peyton Manning. Right. You'd be, you'd be nuts. The <clears> 2010s, I think a lot of people would say Brady for the 2010s, but I think it'd be easier to make an argument for Rodgers. At least I would. Mm-hmm. And the 20s is probably going to end up being Mahomes. So he was never the best quarterback in a decade. Like he was, I mean, for the offs, he's probably not even second, but the tens, he's definitely second. The twenties, he, I mean, hopefully he doesn't play too much of the twenties, but I don't know. You, you see what I'm getting at here. Yeah. Oh yeah. No, I get what you're saying. I mean, I get it. I guess I just took a Another, little bit more of a lighthearted approach to it. Oh yeah. No, I understand. Look, I'll, I'll say a couple more things. First of all, he 17 more things. No, uh, <laughs> if I would have told you that like Brady this was Brady's first Super Bowl. Like Brady, like 
whatever. He had a bunch of chances in New England, didn't win, whatever. You wouldn't say like, oh, that's crazy. Like, you wouldn't be like, he's definitely the GOAT. Right? Even if this was his fourth or fifth, you wouldn't be like, we're talking about the best of all time. Like, there's a few things that I think would set him apart in people's minds. Still has the longevity. He's going to have all the records now. Breeze is probably, I mean, Breeze is going to come back, but Breeze is not the same. Brady's definitely already ahead of them. him and seemingly going to stay ahead. Rodgers didn't play early enough in his career to make up the ground. Mahomes will take at least 15 years. So Brady left the records for a while. Um, but kind of important to note this. So there was someone putting out like kind of a similar argument to what I'm saying, but like between 2001 and 2004, that four season uh, range, Brady won three Super Bowls very early in his career. And someone was putting up stats. I don't know if it was football outsiders, DVOA or DYAR or EPA, which is, you know, multiple advanced stats, all very well respected in the community, especially by people like me. And if you looked at the list, you wouldn't think they were that crazy. Brady was ranked 13th in that four-year period. 13th best quarterback. Wow. He won three Super Bowls. He obviously didn't sniff an MVP. And then 05, 06, obviously they don't get the Super Bowl. 07, no question, but they did lose the Super Bowl. 11, same. 14, changing nothing about how Brady played. Changing nothing about it. Marshawn runs, the Seahawks win. Or, I mean, myriad other ways the Seahawks win. 2016. The Falcons do literally one of 100 things right instead of wrong. Just one. I don't have to change one of them. Falcons win. 2018, D4 doesn't line up offsides in the AFC Championship game. 2017, even though they lost the Super Bowl, uh, the refs don't blow the fumble dead that Miles Jack would have returned for a touchdown. Patriots can't catch up. They're down 27-10. They almost certainly don't tie it or take the lead or whatever. They don't even make that Super Bowl. Forgetting even the talk rule or John Casey kicking out of bounds in 03 or anything else. I'm just saying nothing. I'm not changing anything about how Brady played in any of these situations, but it would change his entire legacy. Wouldn't it? Doesn't that make kind of this whole thing about basing it all in Super Bowl seem really goddamn stupid. I it agree. Does. I agree. It, Absolutely. it is. It's insane. Um, anyway, I should give you credit for your point. Cause I think Gretzky is an underrated choice and I don't want to do the Thanks. Please like my sport thing. Um, but a lot of hockey fans think because non-sports fans here like the crazy stats about Gretzky or Gretzky's reputation, and they're like, you know, people that like basketball and baseball and football, but not hockey, whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, they'll go, oh yeah, Gretzky, because his brand is he's the goat, not mm-hmm. unlike Michael Jordan, not unlike I guess Tom Brady's becoming. But there's there is arguments it. within actual hockey that like, oh Bobby Orr is better. Well, Bobby Orr didn't really play. Bobby Orr played like 10 games after age 26. He was retired when he was my age. Like, no, <laughs> sorry. You didn't play long enough, even though he won uh, either seven or eight Norris's. Incredible. He, at his peak, I'm sure he was as good as any defenseman ever. Fine. Lemieux, my God, incredible. His numbers are kind of like Gretzky's, except they're all, they're all that 149 points in 60 games because he never played more than 60 games. His playoff numbers are imposing. He was unbelievable. He was, you know, like everything good about Gretzky, but he was also enormous. Good for him. Mm-hmm. Didn't play enough. Only played 915 games. That's not quite enough. Mike Bossy, you could say he's the best goal scorer ever. Whatever. And one point that you got it there, though, was no one will ever have a 200-point season again unless hockey changes drastically, which it won't. I don't even think it has to be that. No one will dominate like Gretzky again. That's the thing. Maybe they, maybe they will. Maybe I'm wrong. But if – McDavid this year 
uh, this year doesn't make sense because it's a stupid 56 game season. If McDavid next year in an 82 game season had 165 points, that would be Gretzky esque dominance. Mm-hmm. If Crosby in like 2011, instead of, well, he, another guy that got hurt too much, but instead of like putting up like 105 points and leading the league by a few points, he had, let's say, like just somewhere in that range, he had like 140 or 150 point season. That's what it would be like. Never really had that kind of dominance. Crosby's crazy dominant year was he led the league in points by 17. It's great. MVP worthy, his career year, all respect. But that's not what Gretzky was doing. It was the highest scoring era ever, and he was leading the league by 60 or 70 points. He was on the highest scoring team ever, leading his team by 70, 80 points. He was, he was leading his line mates by crazy amounts, like guys like Yari Curry, guys that were putting up some of the best numbers ever. Mm-hmm. Guys, a 70 goal scorer, Messier, who was second all time in points before he was passed by Yager, Paul Coffey, the highest scoring defenseman of all time, Glenn Anderson, who is the closest to 500 goals without getting it. Mm-hmm. Like th- people really almost, it's weird. Cause he's almost underrated by hockey people sometimes. Sorry. Look, go, go back and look at it. I would also notice that p- people talk about how in the eighties, people weren't as strong as skaters. There wasn't as much of an international game. So less of a talent pool, all true. I will note, though, that's a lot better than the 70s. The 80s is more or less when hockey actually became people's full-time job when they're in the NHL. Like, this great book, which is not my recommendation, but it's it was written by my advisor, Paul Whelan, that's called Then Perot Said to Rico. He was my college advisor. He was also worked for the Sabres. You all heard Paul Whelan, great guy, uh, about how guys used to just go work in a factory over the summer, and they'd come back, and they you know, have beer bellies, and they would have to – they would use training camp to get back into shape and they would drink beer in the back of the bus, you know, after games. Mm-hmm. That's not the, the 80s was the beginning of the transition away from that. And obviously, it's nowhere near that now, which is a little bit of me making an argument for Gretzky over war. Well, everybody, it took us a half hour, but I was right. Taylor, any thoughts? Yeah, I think – what do you think the best way to think of a problem is? Do you uh, try to like – okay, this is an incredibly vague question someone's asking me. Should I categorize it in a way that makes sense and give a reasonable answer, or should I get insanely mad about how vague it is? Just two ways of looking at the world. I think that's – I think you just kind of like described our podcast a little bit. No, I'm just <laughs> – <laughs> oh man no i mean i get it i understand what you're saying i do i do get it i mean like hey disrespect sumo wrestlers at your own peril bro i would never disrespect a sumo wrestler let's get one thing clear if there's one rule that i live by in my life it is never disrespect a sumo wrestler that's a good that's a good rule to live by thank you uh one person I forgot to shout out. I think should be in this discussion. I never would have considered him. Shout out to Roger Sherman at the ringer for even bringing this up. Joey Chestnut. Wow. Wow. Because he's, everyone knows him as the hot dog goat from 4th of July. The Nathan's famous, all that stuff. He's not just a once a year guy. That guy kicks ass in everything. Go sometimes look, look at his Wikipedia at the world records. He has stuff. Hot dogs are great. You wouldn't want to eat as many as he eats, but at least you could be like, Oh man, I, I could have four or five hot dogs. Great. Yeah. Poor digestive system of that guy. Yeah. Go look at some of the other gross, gross stuff he eats. Uh, So much of, pounds of. Okay. I'm not even joking about that. I'm serious. He's in this discussion. My take is do not look that up. I'm not going to look it up. You don't have to look it up. (laughs) Nobody needs to. You don't need to visualize that. I I mean, I don't want to. Fair enough. But (laughs) But I will take your word for it, though. 
Yeah, he's uh, – I think he's actually in the discussion. That's fair. I mean, that's definitely fair. He is what you would consider to be dominant for sure. Nobody comes yeah. close. I don't – Really, do you, com- do you consider competitive eating as a sport? I was just going to get to that. It's really hard to define a sport. I'm never interested because it's always like, you think cheerleaders are a sport? What are you, a girl? Oh, I'm not saying it like no, that. No, I'm not, no, no, I know you're Cheerleading not. Cheerleading is super a sport. So for what? Yeah, because it's kind of like things that are physical and competitions. Yes. So like, no, I don't think chess is a sport, but it's a good activity, like poker. You know. Anyway. Uh, hmm. So yeah, I think competitive eating is a sport. You would con- it- you would quantify competitive eating as a sport more than like chess? Yeah, because Have of the physical the aspect. Like, what are you doing? Oh my god, yeah. <laughs> no, I, see, this isn't a diss at chess. It's just what I think of as a sport. It's like a so it's an intense physical activity. You have to train to be good at it. Um, it's a competition. That's basically it. I don't think you have to train physically or, and I don't think chess is a really inherently physical activity. I don't know. I feel like physical though. Like, do you consider like ski shooting to be a sport? Like, is that really like that physical? I mean, obviously you're shooting a gun. I haven't given too much thought to ski shooting. You know what I mean? Like it's or not a rifle like, in general. No, I don't see. I'm on the fence about those. I'm not in the fence about eating because those are competitive eating. That but is. those are competed in there. Those are Olympic sports, though. Well, if the Olympics says it, I'm not going to argue. Well, and so that's what I'm saying, though, is, I mean, I don't think that you need. Of course, there's training. But is it like rigorous physical training that you're going through to do something like that? I don't think so. No, not for golf either. I don't in golf, too. Yeah, I don't particularly. I mean, in golf, I think is different for Look, sure. You know what? But no, this is a, this is an important thing with that. Those are skilled things, though. Shooting and golf, you do intense, rigorous training for skills, not like necessarily making yourself in good shape or like whatever else you do. Like you're not like trying to get in crazy like shape to like run fast or run, you know have good endurance, whatever. But is chess in the Olympics actually? No. Are we sure? Like 99% sure chess okay. has never been in the Olympics. Okay, I was too, but I just wanted to ask. Yeah, and that's not a distant chess. It's just an activity, not a sport. I mean, I also want to say that I'm not necessarily like on one side or the other with that, but just because it got brought up, I kind of yeah. piqued my curiosity I mean, a little bit. There's people that get mad every year because they think, oh, it's disgusting, it's gluttony. It's like, buddy, look at how sports have been handled during the pandemic. Tell me they aren't like decadent as hell that they uh, aren't also in their own way disgusting. Maybe not physically, but uh, I mean, gross. when you get down to it, like the actual like spectacle of watching sports isn't usually gross, but there's a lot I could get into that I won't right now that I think is pretty yeah, gross. That's fair. And How about we get I think someone our... like, oh, oh, sorry, real quick. Someone like Peter King commenting on it, who covers the NFL. Mm-hmm. I would think about that for a second, Peter for you know you get too into it anyway yeah. but i say this joey chestnut is one of the one of the greatest athletes of all time one of the greatest americans of all time drank on hurdle avenue one time shit i know i mean at him? least one time my friend saw him mm. was out at uh del denby's yeah i don't know yeah anyway what's all respect pick? to him what's your what are we doing week? recommendations yes give me that recommendation hmm your Rick'st pick. So here's the thing. We're in we're in the midst of some bad times with sports. Aren't we? Mm-hmm. So not just with the bad Super Bowl and how every championship has been bad since 
the pandemic started, but also like the Sabres aren't playing. They haven't played in more than a week and they might not play till who knows. They might not play ever again, as far as we know. <laughs> so you're not filling your nights with the Sabres and maybe you don't want to fill them with other hockey or basketball and or soccer or whatever. So you want to watch, I don't know, something fun, something that makes me feel better. <laughs> I watch when I'm upset a lot of the time, which, you know, I'm upset a lot. It's one of my, one of my feel good uh, movies. And maybe, maybe you watch it for the first time and it'll be for you too. Not you, Brendan, cause you've seen it. Scott Pilgrim versus the world. Oh, great flick. Great flick. So my, one of my favorite directors of all time, Edgar Wright, great cast, the crazy, crazy cast, because at the time, Michael Sarah, who's the lead was pretty famous. So he's a B-list star. He was in a lot of good stuff in the late aughts. But nobody else was. No, none of these people were really that famous. Like Chris Evans is moderately famous. It has Chris Evans, Brie Larson, Aubrey Plaza, Anna Kendrick, uh, Kieran Culkin. Mm -hmm. Trying to get the Culkin right. It has, oh my God, somebody. It has Allison Pill. Mm -hmm. I'm probably forgetting some other people that are in it. Uh, No, I'm I'm forgetting the main bad guy's name. Jason Schwartzman. Jason Schwartzman, yeah. The guy yeah. who ended up playing Superman, what right? Uh, Brandon something or another, the dude who did the 2000 Superman, who was. Oh, is he in it? Yeah, isn't that, isn't he the, uh... dude, I'm almost positive that dude is. Who is he? Um, hold on, folks. All right, but anyway, I'll, I'll get to that while Brandon's looking it up. It's a, so Edgar Wright movie, it's based on a comic book series, but it's not like many of the comic book movies you'll see kind of a love story also seemingly based more on video games than comics in some ways whatever anyway it's a super fun it's incredibly directed i think the writing's fantastic highly recommended oh i almost oh my god i'm forgetting out the the lead opposite michael Sarah is uh named ramona flowers like in the movie mm-hmm. and i'm blanking on her real name that's why I'm, I'm looking that up while you're looking something up because yeah, no, two- he super is in this, Brandon Routh. Hold on, hold on. Is he the vegan guy? Mariel's with Winstead, by the way. That's her name. Yeah, she's, she's great. She's Ramona Flowers uh, and Ellen Wong has been in some stuff. She's one of the other love interests, Knives Chow. Uh, so basically, none of these people I mentioned were as famous as they are now at the time. And interestingly enough, I think a lot of their careers have followed the path of the characters in their movie not basically not like who the characters actually are but how they act in this movie kind of predicted the kind of roles they played he was todd uh what's it called todd Todd ingram who was brie larson's like fake boyfriend right yeah the vegan guy yep so he was he was superman and like the superman 2006 movie yeah man that movie bombed yeah there's two of them i think too wow superman returns also, oh, Mae Whitman's another person that was in this. Mm. Um, yeah, so anyway, it's it's it, it's a great movie. Cult classic did not do well in theaters. And in the 10 plus ensuing years has done, it's, you know, become very important to a lot of people, including me. I like it. That's a great choice. Thank you. All right. Well, mine is a little bit different. I'm going to go with a concert, actually. Uh, so... Tuesday of this week celebrated the Beatles first appearance in America on the Ed Sullivan show, which to 
many people is considered to be like one of the great cultural moments of like the 20th century, maybe even all time too, just with how impactful it was and how it really kind of changed the landscape of music. Um, for, I don't, I'm sure I've probably mentioned this before. I'm a huge Beatles fan growing up. I was like obsessed, read every book, saw every movie and documentary. Like, so uh, it was really cool getting to go through though on Tuesday and reading people's firsthand, uh, like recalling firsthand what it was like to watch that performance live. And that got me thinking about not that concert, but another Beatles concert that I highly recommend people watch. If you have never seen it before, the Beatles rooftop concert, which is their last public performance that they did together. They did it on the roof of Apple headquarters in the middle of downtown London. Um, they played all together for like 45 minutes, but in the actual concert video that is out there of it, I think there's one on Vimeo. It's only like 25 minutes and they do four songs and then they, they, Technically, they play five. They do get back twice um, at the beginning and at the end. But it is one of the most incredible concerts I have ever watched or any like just videos of, of a performance that I have ever seen. And if you haven't seen it, I highly recommend Um for anybody who may not be like a huge Beatle fan or not know, um, there's a, probably a good chance that you've seen, like I had mentioned, like the Ed Sullivan clip where they're playing and it's in black and white and all of the girls are just going absolutely bonkers. And that's really what it was like for them for the first, pretty much as soon as they got big in England, everywhere else, including England, was they were received that way at shows. And it got to a point when in 1966, right before... <clears throat> Uh, a year before Sgt. Peppers ended up coming out that they decided to stop touring. And so that was a huge deal, obviously, because it's the Beatles. You know, they have these iconic concerts like at Shea Stadium, for example, essentially like revolutionized the way that like the concert experience is in a lot of ways. But I'm not going to get into that because that's a longer conversation. But 1966, they stopped playing live with each other. So then the rooftop concert that I'm discussing happens Um Four years later in January of 1969. So it is the end of January in the middle of London, cold London. And they decided that that was going to be, well, what ended up being, it was their last public performance. And they were doing it at the time because they were filming the movie, Let It Be, which is a documentary that was filmed about the recording sessions for that album. Um, but it is amazing like to see for them not having played out in four years in front of an audience like that, like fully live and just seeing just how flawless they sounded from, uh, um, you know, their instruments perspective to the vocals, to the harmonies. I mean, it is, it, it's just like a masterclass in musical excellence. Um, if I could go back, honestly, to pretty much like any moment in music history, it would probably be to witness that really, really amazing. They do some incredible songs. To be honest, I think that the renditions of the songs they do get back, uh, dig a pony. I've got a feeling, um, and uh, one after 909. And I swear to God, each of those performances of those songs, 
on that they performed on the rooftop again in the middle of fucking January in London is better than the recorded versions of those songs, which are all like amazing classics. So if you haven't seen that, go check it out. Like I said, I think there's a, the full version of it is on Vimeo, but I would say of probably any video in my life that I've watched, that one might be the one that I've watched the most. So go check it out if you're a Beatles fan, or if you want to get into the Beatles, if you are not already, but really, really cool. Highly recommend. So, that uh, just about does it for us, folks. And before we get to our random Sabres player of the episode, we just wanted to give you all a huge shout out and thanks for listening to us. And we want to ask that you also check out our presenters of this show, both Buffalo Fanatics and the Hockey Podcast Network. You know, I give the same spiel every episode, but Buffalo Fanatics is the one-stop shop for all things Bills. Getting crazy now at the offseason with draft talk. It's all happening. And just because we are in the offseason does not mean it's the offseason for Buffalo Fanatics. Uh, I actually recently saw they brought on a ton of new bloggers and podcasters into the mix uh, for their Bills coverage to supplement that. So a lot of talent over at Buffalo Fanatics and highly recommend that you go check it out if you're looking to get your Bills fixed. And if you're looking to get into some hockey that is actually being played right now. Since the Sabres, we don't know when they will be back. The hockey podcast network is the one-stop shop, just like Buffalo fanatics for all things NHL 31 shows, 31 teams, plus a bunch of other great content that is put out multiple times a week on the network. Make sure you're checking out, checking them out online at the hockey podcast network.com on social media at hockey pod net, and make sure you are checking out the Buffalo fanatics online and on social media as well. And make sure you're following us too. If you are not already at straight up Sabres. So without further ado, Taylor, who is your random Sabres player of the episode? I'm going to go with a Bob Sweeney. Ooh, I like that. You know who I'm going to go with? Who? Jean-Luc Grandpierre. Oh, king. King. King shit. All right, everybody. Thanks so much for listening in. We'll talk to you next time. This has been Straight Up Savers. <laughs>